just to put us in the bit of the picture of where we've been going and where we've, we've been, Christmas, we looked at the birth of this Jesus and we said that we were not going to rush him on the fastest M2 or M1 motorway that we have in the province to the cross, that we were going to take a kind of a scenic route, I nearly said right there because it had been in the States for too long, um, that we were going to take ourselves through this and see all the places where Jesus was almost like picking up nails as he went, all the moments where you can say immediately, nailed. And we would do that through the book of Mark. And I had no idea when we started on this just how many times you shout, nailed in the book of Mark, and how fast the impetus of Mark's journey takes us. Yes, he's on the road. Yes, we're not getting him to the cross too quickly, but everything seems to be happening at 110 miles an hour. And so with this passage, I think as, as Philip recites it in the way that he does, and we take a whole chapter in, we realize that there's all these things just keep happening in Mark. He can't sit still. It's a momentum that's driving Jesus into the heart of the society, into the heart of the status quo. And if we remember back to Christmas, we were saying, here he is on the edges, up there around Bethlehem on the edges. But right here in chapter 3, the center comes to him. As we move through this chapter 3, and we're going to move to that latter part of it, we find that the Jews from Jerusalem come to him. That there's been a bit of fuss about this Jesus and they need to come down and check him out. And every time they check him out, they're planning after it, it seems, to kill him. To get him onto that cross that happens in time. But the first thing we see in the second part of the, the chapter now, if you've been reading commentaries all week as I have, um, you, you would find that, that this part, that the part where his family come looking for him to seize him and take him out of there and then... The Pharisee says it's demonic and he gets into that situation where he's telling the story of the parable and then it goes back to the family at the end. Commentators would say this is one of Mark's ways to tell story through sandwich, that it starts one way, it goes into the heart of something else and then, so basically the family scenario where if we want to look at sandwich, the bread on each side of the meat right in the middle, or the, sorry if you're vegetarians, we can have a wee bit of salad in there if that's what you wish, um, uh, that, that right in the middle of the sandwich we have, I guess, what's really Jesus eyeballing the authorities right uh, at the heart of, uh, of what's dearest to them. But let's start a wee bit at the start because this family thing is a little bit uneasy. I've been a little bit uneasy about it, well, for a long number of years, but particularly this week as I've spent a little bit more time in it. Um, there seems to be something going on here. How can the family of Jesus not understand? And, and part of me starts to think, how can they not understand what he's doing? And yet the other part of me goes, here's us with 2,000 years of Bible commentators and preachers and cathedrals and pictures and Celtic crosses and all this stuff that is explained to us who this Jesus is. And suddenly your brother is the talk of the town and he's doing all these kinds of crazy things. And you're thinking, what's going on? He must be, he must be crazy. Because he, and not only the things he's saying are crazy, but they can see he's nailed. He's really in trouble here. He's going down because they're not going to take it at the center of power. They thought, or they suggested, 
that he might have lost it, that he might be a bit mad. Imagine such a blasphemy as to saying that Jesus is a bit mad, but actually, if we look at it in any kind of sense, they got it right at least. This is insane stuff. What Jesus talks about is just bunker stuff. Turn the other cheek, aye, surely. Um, blessed are the poor. Oh, aye, we noticed. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Yeah, that's why America is so big. It's crazy stuff. You look at it and you think, what is he on here? Yes, grace, unmerited favor, forgive first. Even in Northern Ireland, do we not struggle with that? Well, no, we're not going to forgive them until they give their arms up. They've got to disarm before we, get, you know, ooh, we've got to have a bit of repentance, bit of works to be done. Because we know in the world that we live in that actually you just can't get, it would be a crazy idea to just give people forgiveness and grace on unmerited favor. It's a bunker's idea. He is a bit mad, actually. And on Facebook this week, Alan Gaston was coming in from South Africa agreeing that Constantine made him a bit le less mad. And that we needed to get back to these mad ideas that Jesus had of how we would cross boundaries and how we would forgive and how we would learn to live together. It's madness in the world that we live in. But it's the only hope that any of us have. If we go back to the very first sermon on the very first Sunday of my ministry, I talked about how in the world that we live in, we expect the A to get the A and we expect the person who fails to get a fail but if it goes any way other than that it's madness it's craziness I mean I left at half time yesterday and we were sunk I'm talking Man City here I mean we didn't we didn't get a kick and I was thinking well we're going to get beat that's just the way it is we're useless we're going to get beat again and then suddenly something happens it must be grace I, it was the only way I could see it um, and I've been trying to work out all morning how to get that into the sermon, but I did all right, didn't I? Yeah. Um, so, but it's that kind of thing. We don't expect people who are last to get Eddie the Eagles back, isn't he? Did you see him in those TV ads? Uh, you know, Churchill and him are having all kinds of things going on. Do you remember Eddie the Eagle? Do you remember if they'd have given him a gold medal? Wouldn't it have been crazy because, dear, love him. He was just the best that we could muster, not the best that there was to muster. It's a mad idea that those who don't deserve get. It's a mad idea that we would turn the other cheek. It's a mad idea that the meek would inherit the earth. These are all crazy ideas in the world that we live in, but they are the only ways that we can find the possibility of salvation, not only in our own souls, but salvation for the world around us. The only way we're going to bring shalom in this little province is if we do mad and risky and incredibly dangerous things in the name of God and by the grace that is at the center of what he did for us on the cross. I looked up, uh, it might have been, um, uh, it might have well have been Philip Yancey, so don't take any glory, but uh, I looked up what you might think somebody who's mad would be. Somebody of a dreamy disposition, strong religious convictions, a disregard for the norms with impossible dreams seems as if maybe this jesus was closer to the madness that the family talked about and if we have in some ways squeezed out the madness to make him your normal middle class respectable 
person, then we really need to look back at why the family were finding this so distressing. But not where we left with the family finding it distressing. Madness is one thing, but the Pharisees, they were claiming that he was demonic. And we do that, do we not? I've again just been in America and um, they have a fear of communism that's a, it's a little bit overboard, it seems to me. Um, I remember uh, actually a few years ago um, when the war started, I was watching American news to see what the Americans were thinking about it. And we happened, we just happened, to flick across to Fox News. Forgive us. It was only on for a moment, I promise. But on Fox News, they were just, as we were listening, we couldn't believe it, discrediting the Daily Telegraph as that communist rag. And I thought, now there's a fearful nation. That our maybe most conservative newspaper would be criticizing the war, therefore it had to be labeled communist, or we might have to deal with it. If we can label it something that we don't have to deal with, then we don't have to deal with it. So we can ignore it. We can put it aside because it's behind the CSI tape, as I've said once or twice before. We put the CSI tape up. We say, that's all communist. We don't have to think about that. Don't have to listen to their critique. We just can carry on as the status quo is. So the Pharisees were determined that they would try in some way use language or label or pigeonhole Jesus so that they could ignore the impact or the effect he was about to have. So they started to call him demonic. And it seems to me that at this point, Jesus seems to be getting angrier as we go in this uh, particular uh, account of the gospel. And, um, and he just seems to be getting closer and closer. And it's almost that at this point when he tells the story about Satan against Satan, and he says about one kingdom, a kingdom that's divided will fall, a house that's divided will fall. Any clues there? The kingdom of Israel, if it's divided, will fall. The house of the temple, if it's divided, will fall. Instead of moving it back from himself, or, or what he does is he moves it back from himself onto the Pharisees again and s- suggests that maybe the division is elsewhere in the room rather than he being divided uh, against, his, against Satan. He, he's saying no. And it's almost as if at this point he gets to that Newsnight question where he says, Tiger, do you ever think that maybe developing a human character alongside the golf swing would have been helpful? Or, John Terry, do you ever think that maybe one of the responsibilities of a captain is not to have an affair with your left-backed partner? Or, whatever it is, he goes right to the heart of the question of what they are. Satan cannot be fighting against Satan here because it takes a strong man to come in and bind Satan And actually, I'm going to go further here and say that if you think this is Satan incarnate, then that's the one sin that's not going to be forgiven. He moves straight into this unforgivable sin, right into the heart of the the Jewish hierarchy. And he says, if you think that God's love incarnate, if you label that as being Satan incarnate, then that's the one sin that's not going to be forgiven. To see God at work, And label it demonic. And it seems to me that that this week as I've been 
I've been thinking, what things have I seen God at work? And maybe it hasn't fitted in with the way I think God should be at work. And maybe it's outside my Presbyterian remit of how God should be at work. And suddenly we're trying to find out, well, if it's not God, who is it? And we've got to be really discerning with the Spirit. We've got to really know when something fresh comes amongst us to know that, can we call this demonic? Because if we call it demonic, Jesus says, then we're in danger of that unforgivable sin of seeing God at work and rejecting that God. The Pharisees, remember Herod at Christmas? Had the word of God, searched the word of God, got the religious leaders to tell him, yes, it's the Messiah. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Okay, let's kill him. Herod had some sense that when the Messiah came, it was going to upset everything, including his life. And so he wanted rid of him. The Pharisees are well aware that whatever this Jesus is saying, the crowds around him are suggesting that he's got one who's authority and that we don't have authority. He's upsetting the status quo here. We really need to get rid of this guy. But then also in the heart of it, there's too many things in the heart of it to know what to go for. The other thing in the heart of it is this moment where Jesus says, the strong man needs to be tied up by a stronger man if you're going to plunder the house. Jesus is burglar. Seems a little off until you realize that Matthew, Paul, Peter, and John all used the thief in the night idea for Jesus. And here's the thief in the day coming to tie up the strong man and to set those under the strong man free, which echoes Isaiah chapter 49 that says those under the strong man will be liberated and rescued. Here's Jesus looking into the eyes of the devil and he's saying, I am going to bind you to set the world free. I had a strange, strange scenario this week or last week in Calvin College. I was doing a class at Calvin College and right there in the class they brought out their textbook, which happened to be my best man's book. So my best man... His book is all over the table, and I'm going, what is going on here? Is this the book you're studying? Dear bless you. And, um, and then one of them said, uh, can we ask you questions, Stephen? I said, ask me anything you like. Said, Mr. Dark says here, and I was able to say, well, Mr. Dark has spent so much time in my house, and I didn't understand a word he was saying, so I'm not going to tell you what it says in his book. But it actually was a Walter Wink quote that says, we are powerless until we start to name the powers. And we've got to be aware that if we are Christ's body and we are right here on earth, that we are to be with the strong man to overthrow the devil and to free those who are under the powers of the devil. And we need to name them. We need to say, what are those powers in our time that are oppressing people? Whether it's consumerism, whether it's globalization, whether it's sectarianism in our own country. Whatever these things are, we've got to make sure that we stand up against them and we, uh, moral anarchy seems to me to be rife on, I've mentioned to a few uncertain looks, 
the um, Tiger Woods or the John Terry scenario. For those who are unaware of the whole soccer scenario, the captain of the England football team has an affair with his club mate at the time and country mate's uh, partner. Um, and he's getting off all right with it. He's lost the captaincy, but he's still going to be in the team. The guy who's been sinned against decides that it would upset the England team if he went on the same side because there would be division in the defence. So the thing that he wants to do and has wanted to do since he was a child, he forfeits. He says, I will not go to the World Cup so that the team will not be divided and the team can go to the World Cup and do better without that division in the defence. And every time he got the ball yesterday, he's booed. And I'm thinking, and what did he do? But the moral anarchy that's going on around us People saying things like, oh, well, he just needs to grow up and be a bit of a man. And the guy who commits adultery, oh, well, he just can commit adultery. We're in a world where morals and ethics are falling down around us. And we need to go into the heart of where the strong man is. And we need to start naming the powers in the name of this Jesus who wants to bring a kingdom on earth that might look mad to the people outside, but is the only hope for the world that we live in. And then finally, we're back to the family. And I'm a bit uneasy about that again. Because did Jesus really say, ah, well, my mother, ah, they're not my family. You're my family. Well, I think he did in a way. But I think we've got to be careful how we do it because if we see how Jesus reacts to his mother and how his mother reacts to him at other parts of the Gospels, we find that there's a work and relationship in turning water into wine. We find that at the cross he makes sure that his mother's looked after. Maybe in time the family came to understand and even follow the brother that seemed mad but at the end of the day was the one who was truth. But I think Jesus is saying something else. I think he is looking around. I thought it was great the way Philip did it today. He looked around us and he said, here's my mother. Here's my sister. Here's my brother. Here's my family. I have a friend who is the pastor in a church in England. And he moved churches about 10, 12 years ago. And they moved house. They moved city. And they hadn't changed their will. So recently they had to get together and decide who they would they give the family to, their children to, should something happen to him and Karis. And, uh, and he got the, the, the kids together over this one and they said, what do you mean? What do you mean? The church will look after us. What would you give us anybody else for? That's our family. The church will look after us. And you know, I thought at the time, I'd like to be a member of a church like that. Would you not like to be a member of a church like that? Well, God blessed our family because I believe now I am a member of a church like that. And I look around today, having been away for a few weeks, and I am glad to be a member of this family. And I do feel that I have brothers and sisters. Yes, and mothers and fathers, and uncles and aunts, and little brothers and sisters that are all one. And I do hurt yesterday at Michael's dad's funeral. And I am aware as I spoke to Dario yesterday that he hadn't got in touch with his family back in Chile yesterday as a result of the earthquake. 
And I am aware that many of us, or people have texted me this week, exciting me about what they want to do right here. When you get a text first thing on a Sunday morning and somebody says, can't make it this morning, one of the children's sick, but we need to meet because I've got ideas and I want to go. And I'm thinking, I want to be a part of this family in all that it encompasses. And whatever we have, and I think we've been out of this church so long that I don't remember what church is like. And I don't know what worship will look like there. And we have worship that I think is great. It can be better. And there's maybe other places doing better worship. Yeah, we can have a preacher that could be even better. And you could go somewhere where you have the best preacher in Europe or whatever else. You could have prayers. You could have family. Fitzroy family focus could last just the half minute we want. We could have it a lot better than we have it. But you see in front of me right now, it doesn't get much better than that. And I can say that because I've got nothing to do with the creation of that. But I think Dr. Alexander did. I think Ken Yule did. And I am proud to be a member of this congregation. Not that at all we're perfect. I go to committee meetings too. <laughs> but we want to hold that together, guys. Because wherever we're going to go forward, when Jesus says that we're going to take on the strong man, I don't think it's coincidence that right close by, he looks around at those he's gathering with him. Because those who are gathering around him at that point are the body of Christ, who when we're not divided against each other, but when we recognize the spirit of God that's in our midst, then we'll be ready to answer some of the prayers that David prayed for us this morning. And as we go further and further into this mark, he is calling us into the depths of this Jesus who was a radical revolutionary madman to take it out from here into the streets around here and where we live to show this madness because this madness brings salvation to those who believe in this Jesus. Let's pray together. Our God, we pray that you would bind us together as a family and give us real belief that Jesus is the strong one who binds the strong man, who sets the people free that the strong man has oppressed. Give us belief in one another, love for one another, and belief in you and love for you. In Christ's name. Amen.